What's up, guys? It's Liz Kelly. The One Shining podcast tour with Titus and Tate officially kicks off next week on Friday, November 2nd. Chicago's sold out, but there's still a handful of tickets left in Columbus, Ohio, Louisville, Kentucky, and Bloomington, Indiana. You can find links to buy tickets at theringer.com slash one-shining-podcast. Welcome to GM Street, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. It is Tuesday, it is October 30th, and the trade deadline in the NFL has just passed. And on the line, I am joined by Mr. Michael Lombardi. Lombardi, how you doing? I am great, Tate Frazier. What a last 48 hours we had in the NFL. Baseball's over. You know, we had Monday Night Football last night. We got so much college football, LSU, trade deadline. It's a good time, right? I think you buried the lead, Lombardi. And the lead, of course, uh, is a man that we have talked uh, plenty, plenty on this podcast about here on GM Street. And that is the headline that we have been waiting on for quite some time. Hugh Jackson is no longer, unfortunately for for his own bravado and ego, is no longer the head coach of the Cleveland Browns. Uh, we will pour one out right now for Hugh. It was qu- quite a run. Uh, three wins uh, in his 40 games with the Cleveland Browns. Also, uh, a remarkable 0-20 uh, road record, something that I, I don't know if it'll ever be matched uh, in the annals of football history. But Lombardi, first off, uh, y- your thoughts on Hugh and uh, his departure from Cleveland. You know, first of all, you know, you never want somebody to get fired, lose your job. I've lost my job. It's it's not easy. With that being said, when you're three thirty six and one, I think you have to expect it. But to me, you know, yesterday was a melancholy day for me. I felt like David Chase, you know, writer for the Sopranos, creator of the Sopranos. You know, when you when a character gets killed off, you, you lose a little bit of your like, you know, what am I gonna do? You know, and Ralphie, when they killed Ralphie, you know, that was like, okay, that was a good story or big puss. Now I'm not comparing those. When you lose a character, I mean Hugh's been good to us on GM Street. He doesn't know it, but he's given us a lot of great material to work with. Absolutely. This is something that's, you know, I feel like Chase. I feel like, okay, we're going to have to come up with another character. I'm sure we will, but we're just going to have to come up with another one. Chase did. We can, right? We can always do that. We can always do that. It's called rewrites and uh, reworking the script and, and, and working around it. Obviously, uh, our big puss is, uh, is Huey Headlines uh, in this case. And, and I want to just, you know, go back to, to January, the start of this year in 2018, um, this is a quote from Hugh. I remember uh, us talking about it. He said, I don't think anyone else could have done this job for the past two years. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he said that the average person could not do this job. Um, I, I don't think any other coach could do this. And he said, I'm not trying to sound arrogant. I'm not trying to sound flippant or anything like that. I just think that these situations are hard when you don't win. Of course, that was in response to uh, after going 0-16. And then uh, Jason McCourty came out after that and said that uh, the Browns had enough talent not to go 0-16. And that was Hughes' response to it. And then, of course, we had the run with Hard Knocks. We saw, uh, you know, on camera <laughs> the beef that he had with Todd Haley. We saw him multiple times remind everyone in the room that he was, in fact, the head coach um, and and then it just basically led Jimmy Haslam came out and said that this was a message being sent that uh, they will not tolerate uh, you know this type of behavior in the building uh, petty behavior and and what it what it came down to was rookie quarterback Baker Mayfield their number one pick in the draft uh, was basically being pitted between he he and Todd Haley uh, there was a lot of rumors that were coming out that Todd Haley uh, was was refusing to play um, Nick Chubb and giving him more touches therefore. Uh, 
Dorsey responded by trading Carlos Hyde away, so they had to give Nick Chubb uh, more touches. Then Hugh came out, we talked about it a, a couple weeks ago, came out and said that he, he was going to have to take a look at the offense. Todd Haley didn't like that. We know uh, Todd Haley has been uh, known to be uh, tough to work with at times with quarterbacks. Roethlisberger pointed that out with, when he was with the Steelers. All, all of this is just drama, drama, drama. And, and now it's led to a position where Baker Mayfield now no longer has the head coach that he's been with. He now no longer has the offensive coordinator he has been working with. And when you look at all of it, it just seems like a, a pretty pretty terrible situation for a guy like Baker Mayfield in his first year as a rookie quarterback being the face of this franchise to go through all of this drama, especially, uh, like I said, after Hugh was, was responding to questions uh, in January uh, w- with this same type of attitude and behavior. So it, it's just more of the same, and, and now it leads us to where we are now. You know, yeah, and go back to January. So Hugh gets a lot of pressure, you know, to hire an offensive coordinator. And initially, you know, Haley didn't want any part of the job because Haley was like, look, Hugh's an offensive coach. This isn't a good situation for me. But what happened was that Dorsey and Jimmy Haslam convinced Haley that Hugh was going to be the CEO. Because, you know, when a guy goes winless in a year, you should make him the CEO of the team. I mean, pretty clear, right? Yes. Guy doesn't win a game for 16 games. You definitely want to promote him and make him the CEO of the team, right? There's no doubt, right? So that makes complete sense to me. So you, you get that situation, right? So now Haley agrees to come in, but he wants he wants he wants complete autonomy to run his offense. Well, you know that wasn't going to happen. And then once again, Hard Knocks got a staff fire. So they let the Hard Knocks people in. My understanding is through people that I've talked to that Hugh was very upset with the scene where Freddie Kitchens and Haley were going after him and he was the guy who was the bad guy. He was the guy who was always hard on the players. And Hugh didn't like that. And it Felt like Hugh didn't put him in the right light. And so that started things off. And then, look, Haley has seen what a good head coach looks like. And I'm sure today when Haley's down in Florida vacationing, he pretty well knows that Hugh wasn't a good head coach. And how could he respect him? And so, you know, this situation starts and ends with really Jimmy Haslam misevaluating Hugh. Haley takes a bullet. Haley, you know, gets a contract. They got to pay him off. But this whole notion to bring Hugh back over 0-16 has to be one of the dumbest things you could possibly do. And then the idea to make him the CEO of the team, even dumber. You know, you hire Dorsey, right? You're going to let Dorsey come in. And Hugh was feeling like finally Dorsey was, was, wasn't in his corner. But how could you be in his corner? Did you see the stat that... that uh, this is amazing. Did you see the stat that Sam Farmer, the LA Times, tweeted out? No, what was it? He said that if Bill Belichick would have to lose like 800 games to have the same win-loss percentage yeah. as Huey Headlines. I mean, think about it, Tate Frazier. I mean, seriously. Like, are you kidding me? Like, we're sitting here spending this much time talking about a guy who's not even qualified to be a head coach, you know? And, and the one thing he's supposed to be good at, offensive football, his team looks like crap, whether it's Haley's fault, his fault, I don't know. You know, and now we, they just make the guy that was responsible for Bounty Gate as the head coach. Now, keep him from trying to keep the job. Watch him. Watch them punt on second down. Watch them. Watch them milk the clock forever. I mean, he's going to do whatever he can do to become the head coach of the Cleveland Browns. I can promise you that. And let's talk about. I mean, I, one little note on you know Hugh Jackson in general. I mean, I think the biggest thing he, he had hard knocks play into his favor 
in one scenario, and that was when he was with the Cincinnati Bengals. That's when he was the running backs coach. And I think a lot of people, I, for whatever reason, a lot of people you know went away from that show and thought, oh, that guy seems like a player's coach. People like to play for him. He has a good rapport with that running back room. That that was like the first sign of, okay, people like Hugh. And obviously we remember Hugh with the Raiders and all that sort of stuff. Um, and, and that was a great talking point. But you, you talked about him being the CEO. There's just too many cooks in the kitchen. And that's no uh, reference to Freddie Kitchens himself. But there was just too many people that were trying to make uh, long-term decisions and decisions uh, as if they were the sole operator, uh, the loan operator of what was going to happen in Cleveland, Hugh being the primary one. And, and you brought up Greg Williams, the defensive coordinator, the, the man that led Bounty Gate. He was the head coach from the Bills 2001-2003. Uh, and Freddie Kitchens, uh, who was uh, the running back coach on this team, is going to be a, an offensive coordinator now for the first time in his career. Uh, he's been in the NFL since about 2006, and he's always been a position coach. So you're in a position now where you're relying on, you know, we talked about Gruden on this podcast, you know, so far removed from coaching. Greg Williams is very, very far removed from being a head coach in this league. And he also brought up his son, Blake Williams, uh, to be now the the, the official defensive coordinator uh, for the Cleveland Browns. And so I saw- he can concentrate on running the team. I promise you, this is Alexander Haig. I, I promise you, this is, hey, look, I'm the president, man. I'm taking over. I pro- I tell you this, you're, my man Greg Williams is going to announce, he's going to announce to everybody he's the head coach. I mean, I bet you he's getting stationary made and everything. Uh, it may not last, but it's going to be hard to get him out. That's why it was interesting. Yesterday, Adam Schefter tweeted out the possibility of my man Al Saunders being the interim head coach, which would have made sense considering that Saunders, you know, could have like oversaw the offense, let Kitchens call it, and then creep and 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 camp down Williams. And so he couldn't really run away with it. But obviously I bet Williams probably said, no, 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 I'm not doing that. You know, not everybody wants to be the interim head coach because they want some assurances that if they win, they get a chance to keep the job. I mean, who wants, who wants the job if you can't keep it right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, I I mean, look, it's just dysfunction. And then you watch the team and then what people think, okay, now we're going to turn it around because we got rid of Huey. Yeah. Well, look, as much fun as we made a Huey, look, once, once you fire the coach and you fire the offense coordinator, then Everybody just says, okay, it's not my fault. It's all good. Me, man, it's all good. You know, it's like it's a coach's fault. And they expect us to come in and win. You didn't even mention they got Kansas City coming to town, you know? And so, look, I just think it's one mess after another. And maybe Dorsey will get it fixed. Maybe Dorsey will get the right head coach in there. Maybe he'll go and hire somebody that he's comfortable with, you know, and he can work with and he can lead and they can get Baker Mayfield in line. And that's sort of where we're at right now. So the Cleveland Browns sitting in this situation, they obviously have had, I mean, it's been a coaching carousel. I mean, that would be unfair to carousels at this point, but it's just been them running through guys, uh, trying to find the right fit there in Cleveland. John Dorsey, uh, we can now see, is going to be the guy that's going to make that decision. And it seems like he is trying to to get get a grasp of what's going to happen there uh, with Baker Mayfield in this whole new era. I saw uh, one of the big things that was that got tweeted out yesterday, Mike Greenberg put out there that uh, it would only be fair to Baker to trade him out of Cleveland. So there's already people that are doing the free fall uh, with this whole situation. My, my question to you, and you talked about finding a replacement, um, there have been a lot of rumors that have gone around uh, about guys coming from college. Lincoln Riley, uh, Baker's coach at, at Oklahoma, has been asked about it. He said that uh, right now he's very happy where he is, uh, and I want to put an emphasis on right now. Uh, Urban Meyer obviously is in a situation with the Ohio State Buckeyes where you know he may be, he, there's been reports that he may not even want to coach anymore. 
anymore. He said that that's not that not the case. Um, and then you have to look at guys like Mike McCarthy is a name that's been thrown out there. Uh, that's with the Packers now. Jim Harbaugh, John Harbaugh, uh, John uh, DeFilippo, and then of course Dave Tobe, uh, our, our favorite special teams coach uh, from the Chiefs. So maybe they get a, a nice little free interview with him this weekend, like they did with AJ McCarron and Hugh not too long ago. Um, but but we're in a situation right now where whatever D- Dorsey decides to do with this team and who they bring in as their head coach will kind of signify where we are at the Cleveland Browns, if it's more of the same or if this is, a, in fact, a new chapter. I would have a hard time thinking they could get Lincoln Riley. I mean, because if the if the Clapper, who, by the way, was enjoying a baseball game this weekend, we can talk about that a little later. Very it's happy it's nice him. to know the Clapper had time to go out to Los Angeles and before he fired his offensive line coach, but who the guy he hired. But anyway, going back, you know, it, 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 it's interesting. So when you look at this whole thing, Lincoln Riley, if the Clapper doesn't win, right? That Lincoln Riley is well loved in Dallas. I mean, Stephen Jones took his son on a recruiting trip to Oklahoma, uh, the quarterback from Highland High School there in Dallas. It's his son when they won the state title, went up there. He was completely mesmerized by Lincoln Riley. So I, I think Lincoln Riley has got fans in that Dallas office. And I think if something happened to the Clapper, I would see that. Ha- I would see them making a push there. That's A. B. You know, everybody's talking about Mayfield, you know, and Mayfield has really, like all these rookie quarterbacks have kind of hit that wall, right? So, you know, he had the great game against the Jets, you know, comes back now, you know, and so when you look at it the last few weeks, he has really struggled and he struggled because he gets a lot of balls dropped. You know, the protection has just been horrendous. The left tackle can't block anybody and he gets pressured. I mean, the Steelers this weekend just made no bones about their just absolute disdain, just going to come after the quarterback and just kind of put a beating on him. So Freddie Kitchens has got his work cut out for him to, in terms of protecting Mayfield. I think to me, these, I, th- I could see Urban Meyer leaving Ohio State. I could see that one. I'm not sure, you know. But I think Jimmy Haslam has to really get somebody in there and give him a, and give him enough rope to be able to come in and help with Dorsey because I think there's a lot of things to clean up there. And you did point out the left tackle situation. That was also uh, apparently something that was a problem between Haley and Hugh Jackson. Uh, Desmond Harrison is his name, and it was a guy that uh, Haley wanted to put in, uh, and I, apparently Hugh did not want to put in, and that was something that he did without Hugh's approval. Another thing to remember, Josh Gordon was not supposed to play in the opener, according to Hugh. Haley played him anyway. So there was just a whole, I mean, as it played out and as you hear more and more stories that come out, you can just sort of see the discord. That, that was the term. Internal discord uh, was what they used yeah, to well, describe. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the, what, what, when you have internal discord, you don't have leadership, right? You don't have leadership. You don't have somebody who is respected as the leader, so you have discourse. I mean, that's the reality of it. I mean, it's pretty clear. But this this discourse was going to happen no matter what. I mean, it all starts and ends with Jimmy Haslam thinking that he had Curly Lambeau and Hugh Jackson. I mean, come on. Let's be honest. I mean, you know, the guy went 0-16 and, and you're bringing him back. Are you really serious about it? I mean, you, you think, you know, it's like you're going to stand in front of the team and say, look, my guy's really good. Every player that left there knew the problem was Hugh. I mean, it, it took five seconds. They're like, oh, man. You know, so that just makes you really seem like you're so out of touch with it. So how do you think it's ever going to get fixed? You know, for me, I'm not hopeful, but, you know, look, they got some good young players. You know, Dorsey likes to take guys that have some character risk. We'll see if they can hold up. I mean, Callaway's speeding again. How long before he gets, how long before he goes off the deep end, right? Mm. You know? Yeah. And so he had a nice catch this past weekend for a touchdown. But yeah, I mean, it's a lot of those guys. Yeah. We'll see where all this leads, but I mean, to me, you know, Huey, I think Hugh was shocked he got fired. I think he really was. 
And I think now, the, now as they can look over the landscape and see what's coach, I mean, you know, Nick Saban, you think he's going to go there? No, I don't think so. You know, I mean, it's kind of a, I mean, it's a mess and, and it hasn't gotten cleaned up. And, you know, people can look at the town and say, yeah, they got some good young players, but you still got to work in that dysfunction. One last point before we move on. We're going to take a quick break. And we're going to come back and talk about the trade deadline. Uh, as a GM, if you're John Dorsey, you make this decision, uh, you know, right as the tra- week eight, right as the trade deadline is coming around, um, and you have this young quarterback, what is the process from, okay, we know what Hughes' duties were day to day. We know what Todd Haley's duties were day to day. Now we have to reshuffle the deck and pass those along. I mean, do you call in, if you're Dorsey, you call in Baker Mayfield, explain the decision, tell him what you expect from him now. Obviously, he's going to be asked to do a lot more, having to, you know, Kitchens has not called a play as a coordinator uh, ever in his career now, and you're going to be working with him day to day to figure out a plan for this weekend. I mean, what is that fallout? What is that one to two? How do you how do you uh, address every single uh, you know, situation? Tate, Tate Frazier, that's a hard one because look, you still got Al Saunders, who's a loyalist to Huey. So he's still in the building. Now, you know, Al's the ultimate politician. I mean, this guy could be a greeter at Las Vegas. I mean, he could be at the Caesars Palace saying hello to everybody. You know, he's going to make sure, you know, he's he's going to make sure he gets his he he gets his taste. So he's going to toe in line, but I mean, there's some dis- there's some disconnect between the offense and the defense, right? Yes. I mean, you think Kitchens and, and Williams are, you know, got I mean, after what happened this summer, we know all that. You can't it starts with leadership. It starts right there. I mean, they are the classic example of what I wrote the book about. I mean, they can't get that right, and they're never going to get it right. And how they're going to – Mayfield shouldn't be involved in this decision. When you start bringing the players into your decision, look, Eli Manning and Odell Beckham single-handedly picked Ben McAdoo. How'd that work out for him? Not too great. Jameis Winston picked – Dirk Cotter. How's that working out for Not him? too great. Like when you let the players get involved in who's going to run the organization, you're going to have a bad organization. I can promise you, you can write that down. That's going to be bad. So, like, look, Mayfield's got to worry about playing quarterback. And would, would, if I were Dorsey, I would say to Kitchen, hey, look, we need to be in sound in our protections. We need to give this kid the best chance he can. We need to do what he does really well. We need to scale it back so that this kid, A, understands it so the game speeds that slows down for him. And we need to take advantage of the turnovers and not really risk it until we feel comfortable that he can keep going. He's not Ben Roethlisberger. He's not going to be able to take all these hits. He's gotten hit way too many times. He's been sacked 20 times already this year in six games. That's way too many hits. And how many has he avoided? I mean, this week against Pittsburgh was the first time he didn't get sacked. He didn't get sacked a half a dozen times. Mm. I mean, so, you know, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's He's only had one game where he's had gotten sacked one time. That was a Jets game. So we got to protect him. Got to run the ball a little bit. We're getting turnovers. So let's not lose the game. This is what I'd be telling, would be telling. Let's not lose the game. Let's try to win these games. Let's avoid losing first. Let's not turn the ball over, you know, and go from there and try to see if we can make some plays down the field and, and see how that works out. Well, it's official. We can finally bid our farewell uh, and wave, sad. wave I feel goodbye. Like, I feel like David Chase. I'm telling you, I feel like David Chase. It's so sad. When they kill, not in the eyes, not in the eyes. <laughs> you know, do me that favor. <laughs> It's always uh, we, anyway, we we try to. I feel to, we, sad. I feel so sad. I do too. I I think for whatever reason, I feel like Hugh Jackson will be back in our lives in some capacity. Maybe he'll start a he podcast. Does. I mean, I would love to have him. I would love to have him a guest on GM Street. That would be awesome. Maybe his podcast could be Huey Headlines, and he just does you know NFL storylines. I'm and telling gives you, his I thoughts. think it'd be good. I think it would be good. We would listen here at this program. We're going to take a quick break here, and we're going to come back and give you all the updates on everything trade deadline, and we'll talk a little bit about what we saw in Week Eight. Quick break. Whether you're an expert or rookie, if you like to bet a little and win a lot, you should be betting at my bookie. 
Pick three teams to win, and if you hit all three, you could turn $100 into $600. It's that easy. You can bet on NBA basketball. You can bet on NHL hockey. You can bet on UFC. You can bet on pretty much anything on MyBookie. MyBookie has been in business for years, and you can really trust them based on their great online reviews and their mobile site that is very easy to use. If you've been thinking about placing a pick all season, it's time to make your move. Make sure to follow at bet my bookie on twitter or instagram they personally respond to every mention in dm and they've given away nearly ten thousand dollars in free money to their followers this football season alone you'll be the first to know as soon as the odds and the props are posted so just log on to my bookie right now and don't miss out on your last opportunity to collect the industry's biggest bonus use promo code ringer nfl and you'll get your first deposit match 100 that's promo code ringer nfl you play you win you get paid and let's talk about KiwiCo. KiwiCo creates super hands-on projects for kids that make learning about STEAM fun. KiwiCo projects are designed to spark creativity, tinkering, and learning in kids of all ages. They inspire kids to see themselves as makers and to develop creative confidence to change the world through engineering and creating their own innovative designs and outcomes. Their mission is to empower kids not just to make a project, but to make a difference. KiwiCo makes the perfect gift for the kids in your life each month. They'll receive a fun, engaging new project, which will help develop their creativity and confidence. KiwiCo has six lines of projects to choose from, like the Tadpole Crate for kids 0 to 2, all the way up to the Tinker Crate for teens. KiwiCo is offering today's listeners the chance to try them for free, just in time for the holiday season. To redeem this offer and learn more about their project for kids, visit KiwiCo.com NFL. That's KiwiCo.com NFL to try them out for free. And finally, we are brought to you by G Suite, which is a cloud-based productivity tools that includes Gmail, Docs, Slides, Sheets, and Drive. These tools improve your work life, both in terms of your experience and the outputs you create. Hence their new campaign, Make It With G Suite. You know when you have 20 identical versions of a document labeled Final and no clue which is the latest, so you make the new version Final Final? Well, with G Suite by Google Cloud, a range of work apps like Gmail, Docs, and Slides let you make real-time updates to the same document without having to keep track of version after version of the same project. And since all the tools are cloud-based, your whole team can access the same document and work on the same page at the same time. To find out more about G Suite's productivity tools, visit gsuite.com. That's gsuite.com. Make it with G Suite by Google Cloud. Back to GM Street. We are back. It is. Uh, we, we discussed this last Friday. Uh, there were going to be some moving parts here, and as it always works out, Lombardi, they, they do. They tend to do things right, uh, right up until the trade deadline. Probably the biggest move, a move that we discussed, was uh, the move of Demarius Thomas. John Elway said he would be forever a Bronco before trading him away to the Houston Texans. Uh, he traded Demarius Thomas and a seventh-round pick to the Texans for a fourth-round pick and a seventh-round pick. Uh, Demarius Thomas is a guy we all remember uh, for the Peyton Manning days, uh, being the number one option there. And it just seems like with Keenum and, and that offense being very stagnant, uh, the Broncos were looking to move on, especially when they have Sutton and some of these younger guys uh, building up into uh, – into bigger roles on the outside for them. Thomas goes, he helps the Texans out, gives them that number two guy after Will Fuller goes down. Uh, do you like the move for the Texans? And is this uh, a writing on the wall for the Broncos that they are uh, continuing to rebuild, right, with uh, Elway's crew? Yeah, I, I think they clearly they are. I mean, look, I think you can, the theme of this free, of this trade deadline is teams wanted to take their compensatory pick first, right? They wanted it now, not to wait. This trade's a little different. This trade is we want to get rid of an older player. We need to play some young guys. And so to me, I think the Texans knew when they lost Will Fuller, that's a huge loss for them. 
They got to hope Sammy Coates can play, come back. They need a vertical outside guy. They really do badly because losing Will Fuller takes a lot of pressure, puts a lot of pressure back on Hopkins. On, on Hopkins. Mm-hmm. And so that that becomes a real problem. And and Thomas, who hasn't really caught the ball, his legs are starting to go. Ozzie Newsom said this to me a long time ago. I started dropping passes and I knew my legs were gone when I used to drop easy throws. And I see that with Demarius Thomas. They got to hope they can get eight games out of him, that they can milk him, rest him, and see if he can make some plays and, and go through there and, and hope he can do that. Because if he can't, you know, it's going to put more pressure on Hopkins to come through and, and, and take it and going to put more pressure ultimately on Deshaun Watson. So, But the other key guy for them, to me, is Sammy Coates. Sammy Coates has got to come through. Not that he's a great player, but he's just got to be able to take the top off the defense and have somebody defend him. So, for Denver, look, to me, I think Denver's going to make a coaching change at the end of the year. I think it's over with for everybody in Denver. I think they're already on the 2009-19 season. And the Broncos, obviously, right now, as it sits, currently they're three and five in their division. They have to deal with the Chiefs, who are seven and one, and the Chargers, who are five and two. And, and uh, Von Miller and a lot of those guys after the game said, "We have the talent to win games here. We're just not putting it together." Um, and that, that's pretty much the. the What's that? What, that's basically saying we're not well coached. That's the players saying we're not well coached. Because when the players start talking about how much talent they have, they're just they're endearing themselves to the GM who put the talent on the field. Look. They don't have a lot of talent. I mean, they got a great player in Von Miller, but their secondary hasn't played nearly to the level it needs to play. And let's face it, we know Vance Joseph. We said it when he got the job. That was a stretch. Guy had 25th-ranked defense in the NFL coming out of Miami. That's who Elway wanted. That's who he picked to be his guy. I think they've got to reevaluate where they are as a franchise. But, uh, you know, I think for Demarius, Demarius Thomas, this he's got to, they got to really rest him, make sure he can get there on Sunday, and they got to hope Sammy Coates plays. And if you are the Houston Texans, a team that has struggled in the playoffs, obviously TJ Yates is the one guy that could win games for him in the playoffs. Uh, it is nice to have a, a player like Demarius Thomas, a guy who has done um, some big things in the playoffs in the past. So so maybe that's one thing you can rely on. At least if it's not necessarily the production of a number one guy that he has been in the past, he can at least give you some uh, some wisdom in some of those big moments that the Texans can uh, can keep it together win that division. The next trade that we, need, we want to talk about is obviously the Detroit Lions. They decided to uh, cut ties with Golden Tate. Um, and trade him to the Philadelphia Eagles for a third round pick. Just looking at this right now, Golden Tate three touchdowns this year. A guy that's been a, a top option for Stafford. Um, he had a, he was coming up in free agency this year, so they unload him to the Eagles. Uh, th- this is something we talked about. The Eagles were going to look for another guy uh, to help them in the receiving game, to help Jeffrey out, and obviously to help Carson Wentz out. Yeah, I mean, this is the, to me. I think this is a great trade for the Eagles. The, the Eagles, the, the Eagles' offense is struggling on the outside. I mean, this is great news for Eagle fans. This is something they desperately needed. They needed a guy that you know. Even though I think Golden Tate's way better in the slot and can do some things, but it gives them a chance to really have a guy that maybe can play some plays on the outside with some quickness. They give up a third round pick if they don't re-sign this player. They're going to get that compensatory pick because Tate's going to Tate wants fifteen, sixteen million dollars. If somebody pays them that, God bless, they're going to get a compensatory. So they'll get this pick back. So they're just going to have to wait some time to get it. I think it's a great move by the Eagles. I think this is the one move that gives them a chance. And I'm sure that you know there are other teams trying to bid for this guy at, at that level because it's the same situation. And with the Eagles coming up with their third, I mean, Detroit was never going to sign Golden Tate to their extension. They were never going to they were never going to pay him what he was looking for. So they took the pick now 
as opposed to waiting. How does it affect their team this year? You know, I, I think it'll affect them a little bit in, in, in that terms, but they're going to have to rely on some of their young guys. And they've got some good young receivers, Tate Frazier. I mm-hmm. mean, they've got some, they're not as good as Golden Tate, but they've got some guys. Galladay is a good young receiver, you know, and they're going to have to rely on them to come through. Uh, to me, this is about Marvin Jones and Galladay. They've got to come through. And then really, Wilson to play some of that in the slot to take that back so that they can get something out of the tight end position because losing Tate inside does hurt them. And I did see a lot of people that came out when when this trade happened. I mean, Golden Tate's 30 years old, 44 catches, 517 yards, three touchdowns this season. He's caught 90 balls the past, you know, four seasons, been a thousand yard receiver. You know, just been a top guy. People were saying this may allude to uh, Stafford, something to say about Stafford, that they're getting rid of his weapons, that maybe they want to move on from Stafford. You don't think that's the case, right? They basically just believe in Marvin and Galladay and these young guys. Yeah, I do. I think they believe in, I think they believe in their, their younger players. I think they never intended to sign this and to take a three now to get a three for him solid as opposed to compensatory three to me that was a no-brainer for the for the lions they had to do it do they do i think the lions are a playoff team no i don't so lions fans i hate to break the news to you. you're not a playoff team whatever you're going to play i mean you can beat some bad teams but when you play that upper out you're not going to beat the packers you're not going to beat the vikings to get to the playoffs you might as well kind of make your team better for the 2019 season, and I think that's what they did. I'm not saying they're tanking. I think they're going to create some problems, but I think they could get rid of this player. They know they're not going to sign him. Why not take the third-round pick? And speaking of the Packers and staying in the NFC North, let's talk about them because they made uh, two pretty big moves uh, today, something that uh, a lot of people uh, joked about at one point, but then ends up being the case. They trade Ty Montgomery. We remember Ty Montgomery uh, from the Rams game, and obviously, you know, being number 88 in the backfield and being the running back that wore number 88, uh, uh, for the past few years for them. Uh, they trade him to the Ravens for a seventh-round pick. Uh, there were, <laughs> obviously, Rodgers' response to him bringing that ball out um, and, and, and fumbling and, and leading to this whole situation uh, sort of probably led to this Montgomery trade. But uh, Montgomery goes to the Ravens. He gives them uh, another option, another offensive option that they can rely on and maybe can help them out in their run, run game a little bit, too. Uh, what do you, is this just something that the Packers had to get rid of him just for locker room purposes? They had to. Tate Frazier, if they don't make this trade today, then, then, then they never told Montgomery he was not to bring the ball out. If they don't make that deal, then I mean, because he was insubordinate. Because if they told him not to bring the ball and he brought the ball out, they either had to cut him today or they had to trade him and they traded him. I mean, they had to do it. They, there was no choice or else you lose credibility in the locker room. You know, and we know Aaron Rodgers was really pissed off about it. all the stories coming out. You know, I mean, how do you know, you know, players are leaking it to the to the media and so you kind of know where this is all coming from. It's not you don't have to be a road uh, a road scholar to figure this one out. They had to trade Montgomery. And look, Montgomery is I think it's going to be interesting what the league makes them give him. Do they list him as a receiver so he can wear 88 in the backfield or do they give him a, a running back? The Ravens need to improve their run game. Can Montgomery do that? They don't really have a loose play back in Baltimore. I mean, they need somebody back there in their backfield that could do some stuff, but Montgomery's horrible in protection. That's what got him that's what got him taken off the field. They got a third and six. People talk about bringing the ball back, but the worst play Montgomery had this weekend was they got a third and six. They call timeout. Okay, they call timeout. So they got themselves in a protection. They're trying to double the inside tackle. So they want to make sure they got a chip on the tackle, which is people don't always understand that, but they do chip tackles in the NFL. They get a chip on the tackle. They don't, and Montgomery screws up the protection. And Rodgers gets sacked on third and six when, you know, they wanted, they, they needed a score. And of course, naturally, they punt it back. The Rams come down, take the lead. And then, of course, he makes the fumble. So he had a horrible sequence in that game. For the Ravens, I mean, look, they need some juice in the running game. They don't have it right now. The Ravens, to me, are a funny team. 
I mean, they really are a funny team because when you break them down, they're horrible on the road. I know they've had a road victory in Tennessee, and I know they had a road victory in Pittsburgh, but they're typically not a good road team. And they got whooped in Carolina. Carolina Carolina whooped them. Carolina moved the ball on them, up and down the field, three drives, 21 points. I mean, I was saying all weekend on VEASAN, like, how can they be... How can Baltimore be a three? Like somebody explain to me how Baltimore is a three point favorite in this game on the road. They're nine and 18 on the road in the last 27 games. How are they a favorite? Anyway, I think Montgomery, look, they've got to find somebody to pair with Alex Collins in the backfield that gives them some receiving skills because as much as John Harbaugh says he wants to run the ball, he really doesn't. I mean, Marty Morningwig doesn't want to call a run. Mm-hmm. And so they're 29% run in the first half, 71% pass. So you don't want to call runs. I'm not complaining, but you're putting the ball in Joe Flacco's hands way too many times. And we should say, I mean, even in that Carolina Panthers game you brought up, I mean, Flacco, I mean, they were obviously down, but Flacco throws a 39 time. Lamar Jackson throws a five times in that game. Uh, Collins gets 11 carries. So it, it, it was one of those things where the Baltimore Ravens, you were trying to figure out a way to describe them. They're the most week-to-week team I think I've ever seen. You know, I, I never know what Ravens team is going to show up, especially that defense. Weddle said uh, after the game that they, they now know that they are an average team because they are 500. So they think they have the pieces to balance back and not be an average team, but as it stands right now, they are an average team, and I think that's the right way to put it, because when when, when it all comes together, of course, they can play with anybody, but we, we saw last week when a, a team like the Panthers, even though the ball was bouncing Carolina's way, I will say that, uh, with a couple, you know, Cam had a tip ball that led to a touchdown, had a pitch that bounced right into the hands of DJ Moore at one point, but uh, it, it just seemed like the Ravens didn't have it together on defense last week, so and that is where they hang their hat, as always. Um, the Packers trade, haha Clinton Dix, a guy that uh, we all remember Alabama five star. Uh, it used to be Hashan Clinton Dix. Then he changed Mac his Brown. name. You better let Mac Brown know they did this. <laughs> I will tell him uh, Clinton Dix to the Redskins for a fourth round pick. Um, this is a way to shore up that secondary. Uh, you know they have obviously Norman back there and and some other guys that that have you know Swearinger, of course Dunbar. Uh, Washington is now leading the NFC East at this point. It looked like a, a, a you know the best team, the class of that division. As crazy as that sounds, and now they add another guy in Clinton Dix to uh, to help them on defense. Well, they needed a strong safety. I mean, Nicholson's just not a very good player. We saw him. He's the guy that got the penalty in New Orleans, and then he misses the tackle coming down. I mean, Mm -hmm. he's not a very good player. And so they had to make this move. For the Packers, look, it's another situation. They wouldn't pick up the option on Dix, right? They take the fourth round pick instead of waiting on the compensatory if he's ever going to get a compensatory third. And so the Redskins end up doing it. To me, this is like, it's sexy name because everybody remembers Clinton Dix. But if you really watch Clinton Dix play, misses a lot of tackles. He's living on the Alabama reputation when you really break him down. I mean, really, when you study some of the, I mean, I know Julio Jones is great and there's some Alabama players, but sometimes they're more disappointing, especially in the back end, you know, than than you really think they are. And Dix, to me, was that player. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't a very good player. But if I had a choice between playing him or the Shazer Everett or, or Monte Nicholson, you know, I think that's a smart move for Washington. And it, it, you know, kind of sometimes a lot of the stuff is, you know, emboldening your team, whether it's getting rid of a guy like Ty Montgomery. So that Packers locker room, they all say, hey, let's, you know, we're, we're all on the same page here. We all understood that was something that you can't do and, and you have to pay for it in some capacity. Uh, it is good if you are a Washington fan to see them making a move because that does show a little bit that they view themselves as a true contender and they are trying to make a real run. Um, so that, that is uh, for Jay Gruden. I think it's I think it's all good news. Yeah. You know what blows me away, Tay Frazier, is I don't understand. The Giants, okay, they've got these great receivers, right? Yes. And last week, Dunbar didn't dress for the Redskins, right? So they got Fabian Monroe. They got Greg Stroman out there. Stroman bred. He can't cover me. 
Okay. <laughs> and, you know, and they're trying, and, and, and the, the Giants, you know, they got the first, second pick of the draft. They drafted a running back. They can't score the ball. They can't move the ball down the field. I mean, they turn it over in the red zone. You know, Beckham's playing. I mean, Ferris, give him credit. He's playing out his ass now, you know, but they couldn't move the ball. And the Redskins, the, you know, they said, well, Eli got sacked. Yeah, he got sacked. But I mean, you know, he got hit a couple of times, but, but, to me, if I'm playing Washington, like I think Washington this week against Atlanta, that's a bad matchup for Washington. Their secondaries don't even bring up Josh Norman's name. People go after Josh Norman like he's a rank and file player, and and that's sort of where they're they're still kind of uh, building off the idea that he is that guy. And you know, we talked about on this podcast. I mean, Josh is better in zone schemes. I mean, he, he they're kind of treating him like Darrell Revis at times, as if he can you know operate on his own island. Well, he acts like it. I mean, he's you know he's trying to get his TV career in order. You know, he, he acts like he's a this kind of great, like he's going to the Hall of Fame. I mean, he's just been overpaid. He's really, he's a good player, you know, but he's been overpaid. I mean, it's like, okay, great. Go on TV. Tell us what you know about football. Teach us the game, you know. Did you hear Booger last night? Oh, yes. Did you hear him again? He compared, he's called, you know, two weeks in a row now. He's got an Iron Deer, Iron Deer uh, what, how do he say it? Iron Deer statue in the front lawn. First of all, I've never had an Iron Deer. Why would you have an Iron Deer? Seriously, Tate Frazier. I don't know. Like, what purpose is an Iron Deer? We need. I guess you have a, you know, decoration. you know me, Tate Frazier. I'm, I'm big with elephants with trunks up. I got a thousand of them in my office here in New Jersey. I always have elephants with trunk up, but deers, like seriously, who has a deer in the front yard? Yeah. Anyway, he mm-hmm. compares Brady, and then Brady scrambles for eight yards, and of course they don't come up with, they don't say anything about it. I mean, at some point, like, can you can you stop with this, please? Anyway, I, I, how did I get off that? I subject? want to talk about the booger mobile, but we should save that for another. We should save that for a, like a whole different podcast, just because uh, it's amazing. He also he did give my favorite Kelvin Benjamin uh, when he was discussing. He said he was one Popeye's biscuit away from being a tight end. He no no he's not that biscuit away. He is a tight end. <laughs> you see how slow he is. You know the other thing is good too, news for Cam. I Newton. mean, look that game last night. Well, I know we're getting off tangent here, but that game last night, you know, the the Bills did exactly what you got to do up until the end. I mean, they they played great in the red zone. They for the Patriots did not bring their A game to that game at all. And I think you could see very clearly when the Patriots don't have a running back how bad the offense runs. Everybody thinks well, we got receivers and all that, you know, but when they didn't have Sonny Michelle in that game, it's not the same thing. And look, you know, I've said it on the podcast before, you know, you can watch the tape, you can say the tape. I think Gronk's a great player. I've always think Gronk's a great player. I think Gronk is a Hall of Fame player, mm-hmm. but he's not right. He doesn't look like the same player right now. He's always catching the ball in a crowd. You know, he's not separating from anybody. He's a huge target. Don't get me wrong. Huge target. He gets, you know, and he makes some unbelievable catches. But in terms of just having open, uh, being open, it's not easy right now for him, whether it's his back, whether it's his lower body. I don't know. But I'll just put, I'll say that again. You could see it last night. It was fairly clear. And then when you watch the Patriots, you know, when you watch the Patriots, they just don't, when they don't have that back back there, you know, they put Patterson back there. They're not the same team. They need a big time runner that can stretch the field and create width. It's not James White. He's a pass catcher. And, you know, that's why they couldn't score enough points last night. Two things. Before, I mean, they did. They yeah. won the game, but I mean, they couldn't really, they could, that game should have been over quickly because look, you could have put, I'm telling you, Tate Frazier, you could have put 11 Coke machines out there for the Patriots defense. And I don't think Buffalo would have scored 21 points. <laughs> You know, look, Derek Anderson was a Pro Bowl quarterback at one time, but uh, he is not anymore. We saw that last night. The two things that I thought... And Calvin Benjamin's slower than I am. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's slow as Milan. And that offensive line for Buffalo, nobody talks about it. It's one of the worst lines in the football. 
I bet you, and I bet you, I know the, I mean, I bet you that Buffalo probably thinks they play great in the offensive line. You know, that line in Buffalo is horrendous. Horrendous. It's bad. They can't play with any power. They get, how about the, how about the one time they just got beat around the corner? D- Dawkins got beat around the corner. I mean, it made the Patriots look like they have legitimate great pass rushers. It's a joke. I mean, you can't, everybody's saying Buffalo doesn't have a quarterback. You can't, that offensive line can't do anything in Buffalo. I mean, it's freaking horrible. Just in, horrible. In the words of Chris Berman, who was, uh, in to, to much of the delight of many people, was back uh, for the Monday Night Football broadcast. Uh, nobody circles the wagon quite like the Buffalo Bills. And, uh, Last night they were just uh, they opened the game. Brian Dayball was calling the calling the shots, and it was a lot of fun, a lot of motion in the offense. Uh, they were throwing everything at the Patriots to open the game. They get no points out of that. And then on the other side, I think the Patriots opened the game with Cordero Patterson back at running back. Um, and and I, I thought that was the most interesting part of the night because you could see that both teams, obviously, the Patriots are a different situation. They're searching uh, for guys for an actual playoff run, but but it just seemed like two teams that were trying to still find their identity, and they were really you know willing early on at least to try some stuff out and script some stuff out so it, that was probably the most entertaining this, part of the though, game if you're going to try something against Belichick I would just say this to you if you're going to try something against Belichick like what they started the game out don't start the game like that don't because they're going to get it fixed like they're going to get it fixed like if you got shit that you want to run that's different than everything else save it you can't you can't just let it out there in the first drive you just can't do it yeah. You know, you can't. You got to mix it in because they're going to get it fixed on the sideline. Do you see Belichick? He had his pencil out and his little notepad. He's like he's doing in the first quarter. What he's trying to do in the first quarter is figure out the game plan. And if you show him the game plan in the first quarter, he aces the test. He aces the test. He knows it. Whereas if you would wait a little bit of time, like work it in and then kind of put it in there. Okay, wait a minute. Now we're getting trick plays. But once once he saw what they were doing, he probably told Brian he probably told Brian Flores, "Hey, look, Brian, it's a fuckum dickum game. Just play base and make them earn it." That's what he would have said. I think it worked because I mean, what they were trying to do was get Zay Jones matched up on a linebacker. That worked for a few times and then eventually uh the Patriots just that didn't happen anymore and they played in base and and for the rest of the game it, it just seemed like the Buffalo Bills could not move the ball. Uh and of course Bill Belichick, uh he he fucks him again. Uh the final one. The final oh, one. speaking about Bill Belichick, how about this? We got this great report out that that Josh Gordon is going to be misplays in the game, right? He's gonna miss plays in the game. Okay, so I'm just telling you, like if Belichick's going to bench a player, he's not benching him for two periods, okay? Mm-hmm. Like, like this isn't Cleveland. We, don't we remember what happened to Malcolm Butler? Malcolm Butler was there. He didn't play, okay? I don't still... Nobody knows what happened to Malcolm Butler, just like nobody knows what happened to D.B. Cooper. Like, that, these are riddles we're just never going to get solved, right? Okay, I got it. We'll get that. We'll move on. But the reality of it is, is Tate Frazier, is, is that it's never in the Patriots' modus operandi that they're going to sit a player for a series and they're going to let it out. Like, one of the... One of the the Patriots have had, they kept the secret of Malcolm Butler better than any organization in the history of fucking football, right? They've kept it better than anybody. And now in week eight, you're going to find out that Josh Gordon missed a meeting and he's going to not play. I mean, is that a non, I mean, come on, give me a break. And then today people are saying, well, the reason Belichick didn't play him, played him is because he wanted to mess with the media. Let me say this to you. Belichick, the last thing Belichick's thinking about is the media. He's thinking about Buffalo, and today he's thinking about Aaron Rodgers coming to town. Mm-hmm. So he ain't worried about Dick in the media. He's worried about his team. But that story, to me, never had legs because that's not what they do. They would have kept Gordon home if that's what they would have done. 
Like they don't just sit a guy out for a series. That's not what they do. And the real question there is, you know, that story gets reported and obviously we start the first series. I mean, they were talking about a pregame. Everyone's bringing it up. Josh Gordon was not going to play the first quarter, whatever it was, you know, in first series, Josh Gordon runs onto the field and, you know, no one, there was no backtracking at all. Nobody addresses it. Yeah, exactly. Nobody says anything. It's like we took the gospel from NFL Network. Like, this is a real story. No, I mean, maybe it wasn't a real story. Like, do you have proof that you know Josh Gordon was out late at night? You don't, of course you don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, you know, and look, I would it surprise me if Josh Gordon was late for a meeting? No, of course not. He's been late for 10,000 meetings. You know, when I, you know, that wouldn't surprise me. But up there, that's not how they handle their business. That's not how they do shit. They don't let you, okay, you're just going to play, you're going to miss two series here, then we're going to put you back in. No, that's not what they do. No, that's what your he would do. Staying, if, you, if you're not healthy, your ass is staying home. Now, Hightower was at the game, they probably thought he could play, mm. or they needed him to help the young players on the sideline. You only go to the game if you have a purpose at the game in New England. You don't go there to watch the movie on the plane, have a Snickers bar, <laughs> have the chicken sandwich, you know, and, and, you know, get candy on the way out. That, 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 that's not, that ain't happening there. Yeah, happy Halloween. I hope you can get some candy. I hope that Josh Gordon got some candy some after t- playing I, in that I, game. I think it's tomorrow. I mean, I got I to gotta see the neighborhood where I moved to. I got to figure it out, you know. So we'll, we'll, we'll get down there. I know. You'll make we'll it happen. Frazier. Yes. All right. Then we got Dante. We got the great Dante Fowler, the third pick overall in the draft, gets traded to the Rams for a third round pick. Another guy who's going to be a free agent. Yeah. So the Dante Fowler goes to the Rams for a third and a fifth round pick. Those are the, the two items that were thrown out there for him. Fowler's a guy that uh, we, you know, we've gone back and forth on as far as impact. There were obviously a lot of pass rushers that were talked about. Shane Ray is another guy that came up. Uh, but the Rams are still trying to, to, uh, to, to do as much as they can because they have some problems on the back end. So that if they add more pass rushers, uh, like we talk about, you know, maybe that can sure up some stuff uh, with, with the defensive backs and some of the injuries they've had to deal with. So they make the Fowler trade. And I, I just want to ask you, I mean, I didn't know his value was still this high. I mean, it's remarkable, right? He's going to be a free agent. He's had, you know, he had eight sacks last year, right? He's got two this year. He's really never been a good player. He's been problems on the field. He's been problems off the field. He really hasn't demonstrated that he's the third pick overall in the draft. Of course, Blake Bortles hasn't demonstrated that he's the first pick overall in the draft. He got 54 million. But who's counting? You know, I mean, really, who's seriously, who's counting that? <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I mean, I think the Rams, are, they're probably saying to themselves, well, you know, we got some really good interior guys. He'll get out there on the island. But I was thinking about that. Like, you know, he doesn't win one-on-ones ever. Like, you know, and and for me, he might be a better player for them. But this is a heavy price to pay to get an edge rusher. You know, it's a heavy price to pay. It's a cheap price financially, which can fit into their cap. But, you know, I mean, I would have tried to get Olivier Vernon. I mean, if the Rams, I know they can't afford him. That would have been too expensive to do that. But to me, I mean, you hope this guy comes through because I don't think you're getting that third back at a competitor because I can't imagine somebody paying him a lot of money. I think he's going to have to go the Allen branch, the, uh, the, I think it's Allen, the branch kid from Clemson who was an early pick of, of Jacksonville that Miami signed. There's another that, that kind of regenerated himself down in Miami and yeah, got Andre branch. For it. So I think Andre branch, I call him out. Allen branch was a kid we had in, in, uh, in, Cle- in, uh, in New England and and was a defensive tackle. So to me, I, I I mean, look, I see what the Rams are doing. The Rams look, the Rams need to take a chance because that's the one hole in their team is that one outside rusher with their two inside guys. That outside guy can really make a difference. If it's Fowler, I would be surprised because he's never demonstrated it. Now he's going to go to LA. You know, that off the field stuff really becomes an issue. 
Yeah, and it's, uh, I mean, that locker room, and we, we've talked about it in the start of the year, Wade Phillips has been great with that. They're trying to find a guy to replace that Robert Quinn, a, you know, a speed rush guy on the outside to to give them some help so those interior guys don't have so much pressure on them. Uh, and obviously Quinn's now with the Dolphins. But uh, yeah, it, it does seem uh, the more that you continue to add to this locker room, I'm I'm wondering if there is a tipping point. You know, McVay and Phillips and all those guys have done such a great job uh, keeping everything together there. And obviously they are undefeated. People are already talking about 16-0. and 0. Um, But this is a true test to see if they can integrate a guy like Fowler and get the best out of him. So that, that's something to keep an eye on. This is usually, this is a bit of a different, uh, you know, reactions podcast. We, we didn't go all the way in. We're not going to do awards this week. We're, we're a little bit far removed from the Sunday games. You've probably, uh, you know, got all of your or your first take info uh, on all things football so far. But I did want to touch on a, a few things in week eight, some just some random things that stood out to you. For me, uh, Blake Bortles is no, no longer Sir Blake Bortles. He is no longer undefeated uh, in London after the Eagles get a nice win for, uh, for for Carson Wentz and those guys. So that was the first thing that jumped out to me. Uh, but from there, was there was there any game in particular that uh, really yeah. stood out to you? Well, look, look, I think the Tampa Bay Bucks. I mean, you know, this Jameis Winston situation is is flying under the radar. I wrote about it in the Athletic, but you know, they 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 picked up his option for next year at twenty million. Now they're going to start Ryan Fitzpatrick, but the, the, when you pick up the option of a player, that option becomes guaranteed for for injury, which means if something happens to Jameis in the next eight weeks and he's hurt and hurt for, you know, say he hurts his knee. I don't want to wish her get anybody getting hurt at all, but say he hurts his knee. they're on the hook for 20 million there. He's on their team for next year. I thought they would try to move him, but look, the reality of it is you can't move him because they think he's worth way more than what the value would be paid for. So that to me is a situation really worth monitoring. Are they going to put Winston back on the field? The guy's already thrown more interceptions in less games than anybody else in the league. I mean, it's remarkable. He's a turnover machine waiting. Now, we, we bust Nathan Peterman's ass. I mean, this guy is bad. And, you know, he's got the off-the-field stuff. You know, people laughed at us when we said they should trade for Teddy Bridgewater this summer. Okay, how you enjoying your how you enjoying your Jameis Winston right about now? Mm. How you like that? You got twenty million next year. You want him on your team for twenty million? I don't think so. No, definitely not. So Jameis throws four interceptions this week, including another pick six. Uh, and he was benched in the third quarter. Ryan Fitzmagic came back uh, into the fold for the Buccaneers. Like obviously, who started them out so well this year while uh, Winston was suspended. And then they asked Dirk Cutter after the game. He said, today is not the day I have to decide that. They asked him who was going to start against Carolina next week. He said, today is not the day I have to decide that. I don't have any problems making decisions, and I'll make it when the time is right. Next day, he decides that Jameis will be benched uh, in favor of Fitzpatrick. So Fitzpatrick comes back into the fold. I mean, is this also a sign from Cutter? Is this him just saying, I got to win as many games as I can possibly win to keep my job? Uh, so therefore, I think Ryan's- I don't think Cutter can keep his job. Yeah. Look, the one I thing, like. if you work for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and you walk in the stadium and you see Tony Dungy's name in the Ring of Honor and you see John Gruden's name in the Ring of Honor and you see Rich McKay's name in the Ring of Honor and you realize all those three guys got fired by the Glazers, you know, you know that they, they got no problem firing people. And they got no problem whatsoever doing that. So I, I don't think that I, I, if I were, if I were my man, Dirk Cotter, I wouldn't feel, I would not get, I would never get my feet up. I would never get comfortable. He should not be comfortable. Yeah. And especially, I mean, no. we talked about Gruden, right? I mean, Gruden, when he, when it was rumored that he was going to come back to coaching, uh, they flirted with the idea or it was rumored that they flirted oh, with the idea of going after him. Tate Frazier. They, they did more than flirt. They were kissing. I mean, they just, you know, <laughs> they were going to do more than flirt. There was some kissing going on there. There's no doubt. Giving some cooties out. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's something to keep an eye on to see what happens with Tampa Bay. Uh, is there any other games that really stood out to you? I mean, for me personally, uh, I think the Seahawks are a team that sort of have gone under the radar and have a chance 
chance at a wild card, uh, and they're getting I, I some nice Seattle's wins. I think Seattle's really good. I think they've done a great job of turning the ball over. I think they've played really good. They played much better. You know, I liked them last week. I thought Seattle would would beat the would beat the Lions on the road. I think Seattle's a, a under the radar team. I think Pete Carroll's doing a great job coaching. I think they're doing tremendous. Their their defense is getting better every single week. And even though they don't have the Legion of Doom, they're finding new players. I like them. I think they're going to be fun to watch. This will be a great week. Yep, they've won four. They of the, get the yep four. Of they the get the Chargers five. up there at home this week. This will be a fun week to watch them. Absolutely, and uh, just running through the gamut, uh, Mitchell Trubisky uh, takes on and oh, come took, on, took down Frazier. the New York Jets twenty-four to ten. Did you see him? He Did dressed up like he, he dressed up for Halloween, like Coach. That Dicka. was the best thing he did on Sunday. Besides run with the ball. Man, Thank you, man. <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable. I love the costume. I got to give him that one. He would have got he would have got a big candy bar on that one. Yeah, I love see, the costume. But he, I mean, look, the guy, can't, the guy can't throw. I mean, the guy can't. The guy's not accurate. <laughs> He's just not accurate. I'm not worried about accuracy. I'm worried about comedy and uh, committing to uh, your Halloween costume. There you go. So. I, I, I see where you're going. I like that. I used to say to Al Davis, I used to say, I said, you know, I'm not looking to be consistent. I'm looking to be correct, kid. You know, that's just what There you go. Let's be correct. Let's uh, let's let Mitchell uh, shine. Let's be correct. And also, uh, one last note, Larry Fitzgerald. I thought this was a nice story, a guy that we all love uh, in the NFL. His son said that he didn't want to come to the game. He told him before the game he did not want to come to the game because it was boring. Uh, so Larry Fitzgerald uh, went out and got a win, uh, first 100-yard game of the season, uh, and got a nice touchdown. And uh, the Cardinals won that game 18-15 to and one of probably the, the worst games of the season as far as uh, entertainment value goes. But I, I thought that was nice. I thought Larry Fitzgerald, uh, you know, sticking it to his kid was nice. You got to love it. So much for the Cardinals trading their whole roster, right? Yeah. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. All right, Tate Frazier, Friday now. We do picks. Like like my man Brian, the scorekeeper, I'm at 60% for the season. Not that I'm bragging, because I'm, could, it could go quickly. I'm not bragging. But he's not going to release the picks until after the game. So you got to listen to GM Street on Friday if you want the picks. It's not that hard. It's only 15 minutes. I mean, seriously. Yes, exactly. It's not hard at all. Friday sit-downs, we do it every single week. Lombardi's been great. Your picks have been great. We've had a lot of fun this weekend. It it uh, it validated a lot of our thoughts about the league. And as we've said, as the, as the season wears on, we'll figure out who these teams really are. Uh, and we're, we're starting to get a, a, a true picture of what the playoffs will look like and who the true contenders are. And we'll get into all that stuff. Uh, we'll start with the picks on Friday and then we'll get our week nine reactions starting next week on Tuesday. I will be on tour. So I will be in Columbus, Ohio for Loving our it. Friday show. And I will be in Indianapolis next Make sure Tuesday. you go down to Hickory High and go check that out. Will you while you're in Indianapolis? You know Just it. take the drive. I'll do it for Jimmy. I'll do it for Jimmy. That's for you, sure. You know what you got to do, little Jimmy, is you got to go over to Butler and you got to stay sit on. That's where they filmed it over there at Butler. Yep. You got to go over and take that in. Yep. And then go get some shrimp cocktail at St. Elmo's and you'll be happy. Perfect. Perfect. I appreciate the advice. We, advice. we appreciate it. Everyone listening to GM Street and we will be back on Friday. Thanks, Tate Fraser. Thanks again to KiwiCo. Today's show is brought to you by KiwiCo. Are you stumped on what to give the kids in your life this holiday season? KiwiCo creates super cool hands-on projects for kids of all ages that make learning about science, technology, engineering, art, and math fun. KiwiCo is offering today's listeners the chance to try them for free just in time for the holidays. To redeem this offer and learn more, visit KiwiCo.com NFL.